the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Okay, hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is Morgan Zeggers. Happy Friday. We've got a lot going on, a bunch of random different topics, so I hope you're excited. I've got my dog right next to me, so if she makes a noise, like that little weird breathing noise, that was Autumn. Um, <laughs> that being said, let's get on into it. Okay, before we get into the first topic, I want to remind you guys that MyPillow is having the biggest sheet sale of the year for the company. You can use code MORGAN for a big discount. You all have helped MyPillow build into the amazing company that it is today. And now Mike Lindell, the inventor and CEO, wants to give back exclusively to his listeners. So the Percale and Giza Dream bed sheet sets are available in a variety of colors and sizes. And now they are all on sale for as low as $29.98 with code Morgan. Okay. I love buying new sheets and stuff for my room and I can tell you this is a really good deal. All right. So order now because when they're gone, they're gone. The Percale and Giza Dream Sheets are breathable. They have a cool crisp feel. They come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Don't miss out on the incredible offer. It's limited and it's limited supply. So be sure to order now. Call 1-800-738-8374 and use promo code Morgan. Or you can go online to MyPillow.com and click the radio listeners square and then use code Morgan there. Okay, first thing I want to address is I'm as I'm recording this, by the way, there's some news that's breaking, so we might have to just touch on it on the next episode. Um, I'm specifically watching some finance leaders, some bank leaders and CEOs. They're at a current hearing on Capitol Hill and they're being asked some tough questions, but it's happening right as I'm recording. So we'll have to do this in the future. Another thing that just was breaking this morning that I saw is Stacey Abrams just claimed that the six-week heartbeat is a, quote, manufactured sound in a baby. (laughs) So when a six, uh, get this, a six-week baby, any heartbeat that you might hear from it, she claims is a manufactured sound to convince people that men have the right to take control of a woman's body. Now, if you're still with us after that little mental gymnastics that's required to try and keep track of what the heck she's saying, then let's break it down a little bit more. I found a postmillennial.com article and it kind of explains what happens. It's a recently surfaced video on social media where she's speaking about her views on abortion. It says the short clip shows Abrams on an auditorium stage with other speakers and she makes the claim that fetal heartbeats, so a baby in the womb, they are manufactured sounds. The Georgia Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams claims that there is no such thing as a heartbeat at six weeks. That is a quotation, quote, there is no such thing as a heartbeat at six weeks. Abrams, who previously falsely claimed that she lost the previous race for governor of Georgia, added that, quote, it is a manufactured sound designed to convince people that men have the right to take the control of a woman's body. So she says this quite proudly. It says Abrams also tweeted on Wednesday, quote, when a woman is forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy to term, 
they're four times more likely to end up in poverty and 60% less likely to stay employed full-time. Outlawing abortion perpetuates the cycle of poverty that disproportionately affects black and brown women and harms our economy. Oh boy. So it's always interesting when we're talking about something as fundamental as the value of human life and if we should be allowed to end someone else's life on this earth and when exactly life even begins. These are really sensitive topics. So to bring in an issue of wealth or economic status as if that really plays a part in it or in the value of a human being and their potential in life, if they should be allowed to live or not, it's kind of disgusting. There's this book, and I've kind of talked to you guys about it before, but I, because I run the nonprofit where I interview people that lived through socialism, it means that people send me some interesting stuff in the mail. And one of those interesting things one time was the book, Why Women Have Better Sex Under Socialism. Now, the title is gruesome. It's pretty much just, uh, what's it called? Clickbait, a clickbaity title of the book. And it's because it's not like a sexual or... Icky book, as you might think it sounds based on the title, it's more so a book about um, human relationships and specifically um, women's relationship with men under different economic situations. So the book doesn't talk about specifically sex. It just more so makes the case that when a woman is in capitalism and she lives in a capitalist economy where she has her own economic independence and she she doesn't get her things from the government, she has to rely on men to take care of her. And so that means you have to marry a man for money and for financial purposes only, really. But then under socialism, where everything is pretty much taken care of by the government and provided by the government via actual programs or just the government being the the only employer, it says that the woman can be free to marry who she loves and who she wants to be with physically and mentally and romantically for all the different reasons. She can pick her life partner for love and aka that's why she can have better sex under socialism um, because then the government can financially take care of her, not the man. First of all, it kind of goes against their whole female empowerment message to make it seem like women can't survive on their own. They have to be taken care of by men or they have to be taken care of by the government. It's not physically possible for them to do it themselves. So that's a little weird. Um, But I, I just think it's a little icky because the book says that they have better sex under socialism. It says they're happier under socialism because they can marry for love and for um, more personal reasons that they don't have to marry a man for money like under capitalism. But Once you get into the details of the book, it says, well, we should also address the fact that women under socialist and communist regimes aren't exactly empowered because the government was just this uh, woke, progressive, feminist government that wanted to empower women. In fact, it was just the socialists and the communists in charge saying, geez, our economy's failing. What could fix this? Let's double the size of the workforce by forcing women to also show up for work every day. Let's make men and women completely the same in our eyes, and let's just force them all into the factories. (laughs) Now, people don't really learn much or learn enough, I should say, about the 19th, 20th, 21st century and the rise of radical leftism. So now they have these rose-colored glasses on when they look at the workforce numbers of, for example, the Soviet Union or any of the other socialist and communist countries over the last handful of decades. And they say, look at how equal women were treated back then. It's like, yeah, the government just needed more people to force into the factories and perform basically forced labor. 
That's not very empowering. I don't care how equal the numbers are. It doesn't mean that there was any human dignity at all. And it certainly wasn't uh, done to empower women. All right. They just were the government decided, you know what, we can't be treating women very special anymore. It's time to just bring them all down a peg, make them all work in the factory. Right. So I think it's pretty crazy that this why women have better sex under socialism book literally makes the case for women being empowered more under socialist and communist countries and then has to actually add an asterisk in the book to say, P.S., this was not done to empower women, but we're still looking at the numbers and it looks good on paper. (laughs) Um, So I I guess I kind of went on a little rant there, but it, it just always makes it so interesting to me to see even modern American women today talk about ending their lineage, ending the life of a a child that could be born and raised up in their care all because of financial reasons. That makes me really, really sad. It's like we forgot what really matters. I mean, if you look at it at the most basic level, we've forgotten what really matters in life. Why do we even go to work? Why do we even try to earn money? It's to, to pay for things, right? It's to pay for a roof over our head. It's to pay to live and to pay off all of our expenses that we have to to get by and to do the things that we love and to do the necessities as well. But what is it all for if it's not to extend and add to our lives in ways that are beyond material reasons? I don't know. It's just really sad. We're so short-sighted with how, well, we could earn a lot more money and we could be in a much better financial place if we didn't have children. It reminds me of, I've got to find it. I just saved it on Instagram. But remember David Hogg, that teenager from the Florida shooting that now is like a progressive activist? He tweeted something, not about guns or anything, but he tweeted recently uh, on September 19th. He said, I'm never planning on having kids. I would much rather own a Porsche and have a Portuguese water dog and golden doodle. Long term, it's cheaper better for the environment, and will never tell you that it hates you or ask you to pay for college. It just makes me really sad. I mean, I look at this and I, to be honest, I'm not interested in now trying to convince David Hogg to want children. (laughs) I'm not interested in trying to change his world perspective, right? But I am concerned that he has massive influence on America's youth and will change how they view childbearing, how they view building a family and extending your family by generations and what that really means in the grand scheme of life. I'm sad that people with this mentality are having an influence on our kids. Another good example is AOC. AOC just said that because of capitalism, it's not possible for us to really have children anymore. And people are scared to have kids because of doomsday caused by capitalism and climate change. There's also videos if you You can kind of do a little deep dive on YouTube, and there's footage of her crying on stage a couple years ago when she's promoting the Green New Deal, and she's telling the people in the crowd that she's scared to become a mother one day because her child is going to go through climate apocalypse. I really feel bad for these people that they are truly scared. And you know what? I even hear conservatives that say, I'm scared of what's going on in the world, and I don't want to procreate. I don't want to bring kids into this world. But we have to. We have to, we cannot end the human race because we're scared of what is to come. I think we should just bolster our children and prepare them to be ready for really anything that might happen. That's why I think education is really important. And one of my favorite quotes that inspired me really when I was getting into interviewing people from communist countries and trying to create educational content 
There's a really good quote. I've got to find it. And it's by C.S. Lewis. It says, since it is so likely that children will meet cruel enemies, let them at least have heard of brave knights and heroic courage. And I think that's really special. Really special, you guys. I think it's sad that the left isn't interested in procreating and extending their family line. I think there's something to be said about that, about the fact that they would prefer these days to save the environment and save their political cause of climate change instead of having their own family. And I think it's also sad that they are now convincing young people that that's really no different in terms of the value of having a child and the value of owning a car and having some expensive fancy dogs. There's a big psychological difference, emotional difference, mental impact, physical impact that you'll you'll receive from having children than from owning a few fancy material items. And the fact that we're considering them to be the same but just oh, I'd rather spend money on this than have kids very, very disturbing, if you ask me. Now, you guys, before we go to the next topic, I wanted to let you know about something that came to my attention, and I agreed to let you guys know about this because I think it's a worthy cause. Uh, There's a hurricane right now. It's Hurricane Fiona, and it has pummeled the Caribbean with devastating winds, catastrophic flooding, and widespread power outages. I'm not sure if you guys have seen the news reports, but it's pretty bad. There's a group that's called Food for the Poor, and they have been serving the poorest nations in that specific part of the world for more than 40 years. And they're responding again now, this time to Hurricane Fiona, during this really serious crisis. So the hurricane relief kits containing food, water, hygiene kits, medical supplies, and other critically needed items are already being distributed throughout Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, and Haiti. And you guys can support this effort by giving your gift now. So if you text Zegers, Z as in zebra, E-G-E-R-S, to 91999. They will reply with a link that allows you to donate an amount. So these families have lost everything. They need your help. Anything you can do will help if you donate to Food for the Poor, and it will bring help to these families, okay? Just text my last name, Zeggers, to 91999, and I'll send you a link, then you can donate, okay? So as one of the largest faith-based international relief agencies in the country, Food for the Poor is able to respond quickly and efficiently to these disasters, but they really can't do it without our help, all right? So please give what you can now. Text Zeggers to 91999 and do what the Bible says. Give and don't even let your other hand know what you're doing, okay? This isn't about us feeling good about ourselves and saying, oh, we give to charity, This is just about, you know what, if I have it, I'm going to give it out, right? It's like when I, to be honest, I'll be driving by like a lemonade stand with kids. I did this on the way to my veteran thing last weekend when I first landed from Israel. And first of all, I go to fill up gas at Stewart's and there's some Boy Scouts and they're selling popcorn. And I'm like, okay, how much is the popcorn? And then they they give me the popcorn and then I, I get a bunch of change back and I said, how about you just have it? So let's just say it was an expensive box of popcorn. Then I get in the car and I drive a little bit down the road and there's these little girls and they're waving so excitingly, waving this huge cardboard sign that says lemonade. So I'm like, all right, well, I still got two and a half hours to go on my trip. I could use a lemonade. I pull over. I'm just a sap, okay? I can't I can't help it. I only have 20s and I look at the two little girls and I'm like, how much is a lemonade? <laughs> 
much. And I just end up, what do you know, again, a very expensive cup of lemonade. But it's just so worth it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like I planned it, but sometimes those little things fall in your lap. And just even giving a small amount can make someone's day and can really help. And I hope that that moves you guys a little bit to be interested in helping. Text Z-E-G-E-R-S to 91999 and you guys can help with this hurricane stuff, okay? Now this... This story is going to be a big one. Are you ready for this? If you guys know me at this point, you know that I'm not a big content consumer. I recently purchased a television. It was a big deal, okay? I'm hanging on my wall, so I feel very bougie and fancy because now I have a TV hanging on my wall, and I'm just impressed with myself, okay? So I've got this TV. I watched, um, what's it called? I don't even know what it's called. Um, the Game of Thrones thing. I'm watching that, and I feel like a true Gen Zer that watches television now. Um, I also hate myself for it because I liked to be able to say that I didn't have a television, but that's another thing, okay? I can't get too into my head with it. Needless to say, if I watch content, it's actually Matt Walsh's videos. I have a little crush, a mental crush, okay? Not like that. Don't be weird. But I have never before, other than when I used to get into politics years ago, like when COVID first started happening— and I was stuck on my mountain home during the 15 days to slow the spread, I would listen to Mark Levin. And then I kind of got out of it because I didn't want to just become a mini Mark Levin talking head. I wanted my own views on things. So I stopped listening to that every day. But then Matt Walsh, I have just been loving the cultural content. And it's nice because I feel validated. I feel like I, I just love seeing people talk more about the cultural issues. I love seeing grown men talk about protecting children and women and the definition of a woman and especially this stuff of kids that are being manipulated by adults. I find it very, very admirable that a grown man is doing it, leading the way and being manly about it. Jeez, I can't help myself. It's just so exciting to watch. So I literally will refresh like a nerd my pages now and hope that he has a new video out and he does all the time. So it's pretty exciting. But what do you know? He didn't let us down. He has another fantastic new update in his efforts. True journalism. Yesterday or two days ago, September 20th, he tweeted, breaking. My team and I have been investigating the transgender clinic at Vanderbilt here in Nashville. Vanderbilt drugs, chemically castrates, and performs double mastectomies on minors. But it gets worse. Here's what we found. Let's start at the beginning. Now, you guys, I'm on the road, so I don't have my usual audio board when I can play you guys the video, so I'm very sorry. But if you go to his Twitter, you'll be able to see this thread. Also, my dog is making noises. I'm sorry if you can hear them. The first tweet, he says, is a video, and it says Vanderbilt opened its trans clinic in 2018. During a lecture that same year, Dr. Shane Taylor explained how she convinced Nashville to get into the gender transition game. She emphasized that it's a, quote, big moneymaker, especially because the surgeries require a lot of follow-ups. So if you haven't noticed, this is what we're going to talk about. The fact that we have been saying for quite some time now, about probably two years, as this surgery situation for trans kids has become more and more prominent and more and more clear that this is what's really happening, we've been saying it's because of the money. Follow the money. Follow the money. These hospitals are making a ton of money by performing these butcher surgeries on kids removing their body parts. It's insane. And it's removing their ability to procreate. And that is disgusting to me. There's something about that that just really rubs me the wrong way, grinds my gears. And I don't know if it's because I'm like 25 and I'm in that stage of life, but the idea that a mistake that I can make as a child would be 
supported and furthered and pressured me into a, a worse mental mindset on it. A mistake as serious as saying, I want to remove my uterus or cut my breasts off that would remove my ability to feed my child in the future or even have a kid in the future. It's devastating to me. Imagine making that decision as a little kid and then adult saying, you know what, you're right. We'll help you remove these body parts. As a kid, you don't understand the motherly primal instincts that you're going to feel one day when you want to procreate and when you want to hold a mini you and have a mini you that you've made with your life partner. And so adults allowing children to take away one of the most precious things you'll ever do in your whole life is a level of disturbing that I cannot even find words for. Right, Autumn? My dog is like, yeah, Autumn agrees. So that's why I have a really hard time with these topics, and that's also why I'm thankful that Matt Walsh is doing this. So we talk about this, and we say, how could adults allow this? It's because it's a ton of money. If you're cutting off these very important body parts, if you're doing something like as a teenager entering into a doctor's office and they're telling you that, oh, you can take puberty blockers, you can take drugs that will nearly chemically castrate you and could eventually fully chemically castrate you, but it's okay. It's fully removable and irreversible. You just have to keep coming and seeing us and we'll check in with you all the time. Think of all of the appointments. Think of all of the treatments. Think of all of the surgeries. All of the checkups that are going to be required, you are creating lifelong patients. And people have been talking about this as conservatives for a long time, but we really haven't had proof. We've just had their very feel-good uh, PowerPoints and the videos that Libs of TikTok and Daily Wire and Matt Walsh, all these people have been exposing, but we haven't had the concrete proof of these doctors and people at hospitals talking about the dollar signs. Now we have it. So again, this video that Matt Walsh is showing is a leak of a video where she's speaking to a group of professionals at the hospital explaining that these gender transition surgeries and really just any of these consultations with, with these kids, 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 is a, quote, big moneymaker because it requires a lot of, quote, follow-ups. This is exactly what we warned about. Now, next tweet from Matt. He says, Vanderbilt was apparently concerned that not all of its staff would be on board with this. Dr. Ellen Clayton warned that, quote, conscientious objections, end quote, are, quote, problematic. According to Dr. Clayton, anyone who decides to not be involved in transition surgeries with kids due to, quote, religious beliefs, end quote, will face, quote, consequences. So hearing from the hospital that you work at that you must participate in the physical transition, the, the body part removal of children's important reproductive body parts because children and then adults are supporting the children doing this. Children want to change their sex, which is physically impossible. Adults are allowing it because it's a big moneymaker. If you are objecting to this and refuse to participate with your skills as a professional at the hospital, there will be consequences for you, is what the doctors told the professionals at the hospital. So that is icky. So even if you speak out, you're being told you will face consequences. Matt then says in the next tweet, in case the objectors hadn't gotten the memo, Vanderbilt unveiled a program called, quote, Trans Buddies. The buddies are trans activists themselves from the community who attend appointments with trans patients, monitoring the doctor to guard against unsafe behavior such as misgendering. I cannot believe this, you guys. Yes, you heard me right. 
as if it's not bad enough that they're telling the doctors they will face consequences if they don't comply, they are putting radical trans people themselves, trans buddies, in the rooms with the kids to pressure the doctor and basically put like a, listen, somebody's going to be watching you. And they're going to report if you make this kid feel like you don't support their decisions, right? Now, here's where I get really, really frustrated on top of all of this. We've heard people, there's a girl named Chloe who was a very, very young girl, I believe 12, when she wanted to start transitioning to a boy. By 15, she had her breasts cut off in a double mastectomy the way that somebody with breast cancer has. It's hard enough to be a woman with breast cancer and get your breasts removed because the the hospital makes it very difficult. Same thing with the hysterectomy. But they're easily, happily giving it to trans kids that just don't want their body parts on them anymore because they feel uncomfortable. Now, Chloe is such a great example of true courage and selflessness because she's got a really uncomfortable story, right? She's a, a young girl. Now she, I believe, she might be 18 now, but at 12, she wanted to be a boy. She then explains that she was also sexually assaulted. And in her mind, because she was sexually assaulted, she thought that she would feel better and safer if she didn't have her female parts. And so that's part of the big reason why she wanted a double mastectomy. She felt like if she didn't have those female parts, she couldn't be a victim and she couldn't be assaulted again in that same way. By the time she's 16, because she gets her breast cut off at 15, turns 16 and realizes, oh my gosh, that's what was happening to me. I was manipulated by the healthcare system. The adults allowed me to do it. And I was under severe mental distress, convincing myself that I'd feel safer if I had these things removed because I experienced trauma. But nobody bothered to ask me, why did I actually want these things removed? And she is so mature at that age, 16, and now I believe she's 18. She's able to reflect on that and say, this is what happened to me. Nobody bothered to help me walk through the mental reasons why I was telling myself that I'd feel safer if I transitioned. So now she's 18 and she understands that she would be proud to be a woman and that she was going through a serious mental issue that adults allowed her to stay in and deepen her convictions in, even though it was the wrong path. The thing that she says, though, is that the doctors, the professionals, like the trans buddies and stuff, they told her parents, would you rather have a living son or a dead daughter? Because your daughter wants to transition to a boy. And if you don't allow it, she's probably going to kill herself. So would you rather have your daughter dead because she killed herself because you didn't support her? Or would you rather have a living son? Exactly. And so when you threaten the parents and say there's nothing else you could possibly do, no no therapy would help this, no talking to a professional would help this, nothing could possibly help your child not kill themselves other than allowing them to cut off their breasts and remove their reproductive organs. Do you agree or not agree? And if you don't agree, we might even call CPS on you. So take that kind of pressure that Chloe even admits My parents had no other options. They were scared to death and they just loved me so much. All the professionals are forcing them down one path and they just want me alive and safe. And all the professionals are telling them the only way to keep me alive and safe is to encourage my ridiculous trans dreams. I cannot express enough how mature Chloe is to be willing to share a story like that. Thank, I'm, I'm just very thankful. 
Now, take that kind of pressure they were putting on the parents and now put it on the doctors too, any doctors that dare to speak out, because that's what Vanderbilt is doing, saying they're going to put a trans buddy ally in there to support and monitor the whole situation to make sure that nobody pushes back. That's exactly what Chloe was talking about, of removing any potential opportunity to help a child work around their inner feelings to make sure that they're not making a huge, huge, huge mistake. It's disgusting what is happening here. Now, let's move on to the next thing. Vanderbilt makes their trans buddies available to children. They make a lot of services available to children too, including chemical castration. Though at some point in the last month, they removed explicit admission of this fact from their website. Hmm. But Matt Walsh, an absolute G, as the young Gen Z people say, he screenshotted the archived section of this website. It says test treatments and services, and this is again at childrenshospitalvanderbilt.org. Test treatments and services. It says we offer a full range of test treatments and services, including gender-affirming hormone therapy and puberty blocking. Now, if you've seen What is a Woman from Daily Wire, you would know that some of the drugs used in puberty blocking and hormone therapy are actually chemically castrating drugs that are used against evil, evil criminals. And chemical castration is like removing somebody's ability to reproduce. They tell them all the time, these kids, that this is a reversible thing, that, hey, puberty blockers, it's just a little blockage. And then as soon as you want to remove that blocker and begin your puberty, if you want to change your mind and you don't want to transition, you could just stop taking the blockers and you'll be fine. I feel like anybody with common sense knows that that's probably not the case. So then Matt Walsh says, but they have, must have forgotten to delete a video from Vanderbilt Psychiatry's YouTube channel back in 2020, which admits explicitly that they will give and have given irreversible hormone drugs to children as young as 13. So then Matt Walsh says, after they've drugged and sterilized the kids, Vanderbilt explains in this video presentation by plastic surgeon Julian Winokur and a physician's assistant that they then happily perform double mastectomies on, get this, adolescent girls like Chloe. Matt Walsh then says, so let's review. Vanderbilt got into the gender transition game, admittedly in large part because it is very financially profitable. Then they threatened any staff member who objected and enlisted a gang of trans activists to act as a surveillance in order to force compliance. They now castrate, sterilize, and mutilate minors as well as adults while apparently taking steps to hide this activity from the public view. This is what healthcare has become in modern America. That is insane in the membrane. Um, I think the big lesson here, and this is what I, I really love in so many different political issues. We look at this from a big national level or even global, and we say this is so intimidating, we can't handle this. But this one instance is a good reminder that when we focus on what's in our own backyard, we can have profound impact. Matt Walsh and a lot of the politicians in Tennessee, like Marsha Blackburn, she's working on this now too, and the Daily Wire and Candace Owens, they are all focusing heavily on their own backyard, Nashville, Tennessee, the state, and they're able to have a great impact because they're focusing their efforts and going one by one. And I really appreciate that. And I'm really hoping it inspires people to look at what's going on in their local hospital, in their local backyard and working together with the local and state-level politicians in their own state. Because when we all take responsibility for what's happening in our own town, in our own schools, 
in our own classrooms, in our own states, it's a lot more manageable and it's a lot more realistic to make action plans and and perform and accomplish action items and have serious results instead of wondering who the heck's going to lead some big national movement to solve all of the problems that we're facing in every single state across the country. So I think that that's another good lesson from this as well. Now, the next thing I wanted to talk to you guys about is this Iranian woman who was killed and it sparked a huge protest going on in the country. Okay, so according to a CNN article on the issue, it says Iranian authorities said Wednesday that three people, including a member of security forces, have been killed in the unrest that has stretched into its fifth day so far. The death last week of 22-year-old Masa Amini, who was arrested by morality police in Iran, a dedicated unit that enforces strict dress codes for women, such as wearing the compulsory headscarf, has sparked an outpouring of anger over issues ranging from freedoms in the Islamic Republic to the crippling economic impacts of sanctions. The protests are striking for their scale, ferocity, and rare feminist nature. The last demonstrations of this size were three years ago, after the government hiked gas prices in 2019. So basically, a woman was killed for not wearing the proper head covering in Iran. Now feminists are speaking out. This is what it really looks like to be an oppressed woman, to get killed for showing a a part of your head that is not allowed to be shown in public in the country. And it's why so many times when we saw the women's march and we hear the women in America say that they're oppressed because they can't murder their child in the third trimester of pregnancy— aka what they call a late-term abortion, it's it's murder of a fully formed child that could live outside of the womb. We laugh at them and we say, imagine trying to live in any other country. When they claim that they're so oppressed because they can't show their nipples, but men in America can walk around shirtless, it's laughable. It's a joke. You shouldn't want to be able to walk around the streets of your city with no shirt on and think that that is true women's empowerment. In reality, you just look ridiculous, and you should want to cover up your shirt because that's a normal, human, decent thing to do. It'd be weird for a man to walk around shirtless as well. But yes, it's a little different because men and women are just physically different, and we have different bodies. Okay, basic science, but again, they don't want to acknowledge that kind of stuff. It's a little different to not even be allowed to show your hair or a part of your head out in public in the country without being murdered. So. I really have no sympathy for the feminists of America. I don't even identify as a feminist, okay? Because I think it's ridiculous. I think the entire movement is completely corrupt. In the very basic sense of the original intention of feminism, a long, long time ago of trying to get a little more respect, a little more dignity, a little more appreciation, yes, I think that that was really a helpful thing. And we should be thankful that our Constitution— that our society allowed for that kind of positive change after thousands of years of human history where women were treated like second-class citizens. Now, that being said, I think feminists these days have completely erased the art of being a woman, the art of femininity, and they try so hard to appear as men that they are practically erasing us to begin with. I mean, birthing people and uh, chest-feeding people, is that really the ultimate level of women's empowerment to just be completely erased from the English language because that's what the left is achieving right now. I'll say one thing too. What I found interesting about uh, my trip to Israel 
there was a lot of signs in Jerusalem, especially in the Jewish quarter, for wigs. And I was like, David, who was our tour guide, I was like, how come there's all these signs for wigs and all these shops for wigs where women can get their wigs fixed and everything? And he said, well, it all goes back to these times of of the medieval ages where there was a lot of serfdom and there was a lot of feudalism where people controlled all of the people that worked on their land. And so like the feudal lords. Back then, it was very much a part of all the different religions, all the faiths, whatever it was that you were. If you were controlled by a feudal lord as a woman on your wedding night or once you got married, the Lord was the first person that could sleep with you. He had a claim to sleep with you the first night. Now that alone, you guys, can you imagine an American woman today being told that after she claims that not being able to have a third trimester abortion is like women's oppression, right? Imagine you're a woman in medieval times with a feudal lord who's like, oh yeah, I can't wait for you to get married because I'm going to sleep with you your first night of marriage because I own you. (laughs) It's disgusting to even think about that because we live in such time of freedom and luxury and safety and basic human security. Now, what's interesting is the the tour guide David was explaining that, you know, all of the different lifestyles and religions and groups of people had seriously struggled with this, right? And so a lot of the groups would do everything they could, the Christians, the Jews, they tried to make the women as unattractive as possible. And so for some time, they would shave their heads. And like after the woman got married, they would try and shave the heads of the woman to make her as unattractive as possible to the feudal lord so that he wouldn't want to sleep with her that night. And that tradition, unfortunately, became so ingrained in these communities, especially to the Jews, who were deeply impacted by what was happening between the feudal lords and the women it became ingrained in their culture. And so the idea of not showing your hair was something that became more and more of a trend. And eventually it's like, there's women in Israel right now. There are are traditional Jewish women that once they get married, they do not show their natural hair still to this day. The only person that can see their natural hair is their husband. So whether they wear a headscarf covering to cover their natural hair, or if they're wearing a wig that is literally just a normal female looking wig it's still not their natural hair and that traces back all the way back to these animalistic tendencies that humans have had for a very long time it's really disgusting but if you ever want to be told that women in america are oppressed tell them that story all right about feudal lords and women of the time of the middle age the medieval ages right absolutely scary i i'm just thankful i'm thankful that god placed us we should all be god placed us in this country during this time period And we are so blessed for that one fact alone. God bless, right? Uh, Okay, so the last story I want to touch on with you guys is disturbing. I'll warn you about that. There is a killer on the loose, freed after confessing to killing a young man, a boy, over apparent political reasons, a political argument that took place. The details are disturbing. The guy is now out on bail, and the details are still kind of coming out. So I want you to bear with me. I don't want to comment too much on this without us knowing more about the situation, but let's just say it's not looking pretty so far. I'm looking at townhall.com's article. It says, according to the Fargo-based Inforum, which broke the news of this case, 
the fatal hit and run between a guy named Shannon Brandt and the boy that he ran over in a fatal hit and run happened early Sunday morning in the rural city of McHenry, where a community street dance was wrapping up. A probable cause affidavit Town Hall obtained via public records request says that Ellingson, the boy's body, was found near a dirt path near the intersection of Johnston Street and Jones Avenue. Before the gruesome discovery, a drunk Brant called 911 and admitted to a dispatcher that he struck Ellingson, the boy, with his 2003 Ford Explorer, alleging that the pedestrian was threatening him and calling some people to come and get him. According to a call made to state radio emergency services that was made approximately at 3 a.m. that day. Testimony from a North Dakota Highway Patrol police officer says Brant claimed over the phone that Ellingson was part of a Republican extremist group, although no evidence, no evidence, no evidence, no evidence has surfaced corroborating his allegation. Court documents tell a different story, you guys, of a desperate boy, Ellingson, reaching out to his mother at the end of his young life and begging her to rescue him. So this guy, a 40-something-year-old in a truck, runs over a boy, calls the police a long time later, and he's drunk, and he says, I hit a guy who is a member of a Republican extremist group who is calling people after me to come get me. But the details, the evidence, says something completely different. The boy was calling his mom, asking his mom to come get him and save him. So the affidavit shows that moments before the teen's death, Ellingson called his mother twice, pleading for her to come pick him up and save him from Brant, the 40-year-old man, who he said was chasing him. Ellingson's mom could not reach her son after the second call. When she arrived at the scene along with the first responder, Ellingson's parents found their child's body in an alleyway. Can you imagine? This happened in America. While his parents knew Brant, the teen did not. So the parents knew the guy that hit their son. The teen didn't, and the family told authorities this. The extent of the relationship is still not known. So the the 18-year-old's name was Kaylor Ellingson, killed in a politically motivated attack, apparently, so far. Moments before he was hunted down, you guys, he was slain in an alleyway after calling his mom to come rescue him. I am in shock that this happened, but I think when you have the behavior of leftists the way you have it, even at the highest levels of our political leadership, of our government leadership, the things that they say, especially the things that they say about us, the way that they framed us as extremists, I'm not surprised that an innocent 18-year-old boy was mowed down in an alley and left for dead. And then the guy says, well, we argued about politics and I, you know, he was a political extremist. So what did you expect? Now, what makes this even worse is this dum-dum, Brant, Shannon Brant, the 40-something-year-old, he's out on bail. He's just walking around. And he was asked and challenged when he's in front of the authorities. He says, I'm not a, a flight risk. I have a job, a life and a house, and things that I don't want to see go by the wayside. Family, that's very important to me. That's what he told the judge. So that was his reason. Is, I have a lot of things I don't want to lose. He's just talking like a normal guy. Apparently, he didn't even understand why he was getting in trouble, because to him, it's a pretty clear situation where, yeah, he ran the kid down and he left the scene, but uh, it was a political extremist attacking him. Again, we don't know much other than this, but I have a feeling it's not going to get prettier the more we find out. I just think we need to make an uproar about this one. 
Now, I'll talk to you guys later. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you have a good rest of the your Friday. I hope you have a nice weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday, okay? Thank you. If you haven't yet, subscribe. Okay, bye. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.